Hello friends, my name is Mike. Thank you for joining me today on Up North Rocks, Northern Ontario's only climbing podcast. Listen to me, Annie. I don't care how experienced you are. A smart climber always wears a belt and suspenders. Dad. Two cams are safe, three's even better. Dad. Not kidding, Annie. Nobody's going anywhere until you put another cam in the wall. Dad, I have three cams. He's just yanking your chain. What the? This route is sandbagged. There's no way this is 5'5". Five five. This is like 5'8". D. Hello, friends. Thank you so much for choosing to listen to this little podcast. If you haven't already listened to it, check out episode one, which lays out a little bit about my vision for the podcast. Long story short, it's all about building connections between the amazing humans in the climbing scene in Northern Ontario, and ideally helping us all to learn a little bit more about each other. Because as we all know, Northern Ontario is one of the most amazing climbing destinations out there, and that is something we all share. In today's episode, I sit down with Sean Perrant. I'll mostly let Sean tell you about himself. But just as a little background on the off chance that you've never heard of him, he is the OG in Northern Ontario climbing. Sean has been developing climbs in Northern Ontario since the 80s, and in that time has put up literally thousands of routes. Yes, that's right, thousands. Odds are, basically any Thunder Bay climber has climbed on Sean's routes, and more than likely cursed him for his old school sandbaggery. The interview is rather long, since there were so many things I wanted to ask Sean about. From climbing with Conrad Anchor in Cama Bay, to putting up first ascents on massive alpine faces in Peru. But I highly recommend that you hang on until the end. The gems just keep coming. If you're interested in learning more about Sean, or even about hiring him to take you into Agawa Bay or up Stratosphere, which Sean will tell you is the tallest ice route in Ontario, I've included some more info in the show notes. Also, check out the podcast Instagram at Up North Rocks Podcast for some neat photos of Sean and his collection of vintage gear. So with that, sit back, Put on the cruise control, do the dishes, or whatever else you like to do while listening to podcasts, and enjoy my conversation with climbing legend Sean Perrant. All right. Thanks for sitting down, Sean. Great. So let's, uh, I don't really know much about your, your early, early background. Can you tell me just about your, your childhood, where you grew up, that kind of thing? Grew up in Windsor, Ontario. Flaz part of Ontario, Flaz part of Canada. Had to get out of there fast. Uh, I left at 17 to go away to college, Sir Sanford for geology. But uh, as a kid, we used to go and, and practice mountaineering at the dump. Oh, yeah? The dump hills. Yeah, we'd have like a base camp and then climb up during the night with headlamps. Cool. Or flashlights, the headlamps that had been invented, and get, and get to the top the sunrise. And that was the start of climbing. So you were already into climbing when you were in Windsor? Yeah, but not rock climbing. It was just like goofing off and lots of camping. And how, how did you first learn about rock climbing, or what was your first exposure, or to mountaineering, or any kind of you know, uh, climbing in general? I was working in Manitoba and hitchhiked to uh, Wyoming to go to Knowles. Oh, yeah. Went to Knowles for two months, and then uh, we're just start, starting the mountaineering, the rock climbing, and was top roping, and a girl 
we were do using hemp rope and a helmet on and the girl I fell and the girl didn't catch me and I hit a ledge on the way down and shattered my helmet wow so I went to the doctor and he says well I think you got something wrong so I went all the way back to Windsor I had my head scanned and I had concussion had concussion mm -hmm. then uh, was home never went back to Knowles but I got a call to do a job in Oman in Yemen so I had bought a bunch of gear in Wyoming and, and uh, brought it home and ended up going to a man, climbing some of the big pillars in Jebel Waktar over a year of, was there. And then on the break went to northern India and sold a, a peak near Kashmir called Mount Kalahoy. So that was the start of, of uh, rock climbing, mountaineering, ice climbing, 77, 78. I had met a girl in Kathmandu during one of the trips and she lived in in Aspen, so I flew to see her and went to uh, Boulder for ice climbing, did a two-day ice climbing course. So that was the start. Yeah. And did you have, like, any any mentors in, in climbing in that time? Like, was was there a, an older generation of climbers that you were looking up to, or? Not really, you know, because when I went to Thunder Bay in 79, there was, climbing didn't exist. Right. I, I brought all my gear from, from Oman Started climbing Thunder Bay with Joanne, Bill Ostrom, Randy Freetag, Paul Didi, and Andre Benchet. Okay. That was the start of Thunder Bay climbing. Right, the originals. All originals, yeah. Cool. No, nobody before us. Oh, Richard Lattice was like a year ahead of us. He had done a few top ropes at uh, Powerline, Powerline Corridor. Okay, at the Bluffs. The Bluffs, yeah. And did you, were you like learning from books ever or just kind of learning as you went? Um, learning, you know, I'd, I'd learned a learned some at Knowles, so I carried that forward, and I'd climb with these guys in Oman, so we so learned from that. Mm -hmm. Didn't read any books. We started ice climbing. Again, ice climbing, there was no ice climbers. Right. There was a few in Minnesota, but they climbed down at Taylor's Falls and and along the Palisades. Yeah. Minnesota, but there was no climbers right. in Ontario. Totally. So it was Paul Didi, Joanne... And me, Randy Freetag, and Bill Ostrom weren't climbers, weren't ice climbers. Right. Oh, and Guy Lasalle, too. So we, right. So we met up with Guy Lasalle. Of course. And we climbed there and started 79 with cassettes of Kakamekka Falls, Pigeon Falls. And then we saw a picture of a frozen waterfall at Orient Bay. So Paul Didi went up with me and it was stormy. And mm -hmm. the first thing we saw was Tempest. We called it Tempest because of the wind and the snow was blowing around. Okay. That makes sense. Do you remember the first time that you ever went climbing? Um, yeah, and it was a it's crazy because there was a climb in, in in Wyoming in the range called the Clitoris. Really? Yeah, it was this big roof, and it kind of looked like Clitoris, and that's where we went right. climbing during the Knowles class. Gotcha. Classic yeah. early, potentially yeah. offensive route name. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah. It'd be offensive now. Yeah. But back then, we just laughed. Right. And did you did you just immediately fall in love with climbing? Or? Uh, yeah, because I've always had an adventurous spirit, so mm -hmm. it was something new and, and being pioneering in, in, in Oman and Thunder Bay. That's what I got addicted to. Right. Yeah, so, the, the adventure climbing. The, the adventure climbing. The yeah, first never, ascents. Yeah, the first ascents because we just you know, didn't want to do the same climb over and over and over. So totally. So just started at the bluffs and moved on from there. And were you... 
into free climbing right away, or did you have a period where you were only aid climbing, or you going back and forth? Uh, back and forth, because some of the cracks in Thunder Bay, especially Squaw Bay, and other areas, the rock was so bad that we had to we aid climbed it first to knock the knock the bad rock down. Right, that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, and your 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 posse of climbers, were you basically teaching everyone how to? You know, teaching somebody how to belay and they'd, they'd send you up? Uh, or Yeah, yeah. Because those guys... Paul Didi had climbed a little bit with Richard Lattice, so he knew how to belay, but nobody was leading. Right. So I brought in leading to Thunder Bay. So it was only basically only top roping in Thunder Bay before you were there? Uh, yeah, but it only was like six months ahead of us. And then right. We started leading. We used to lead the cracks at the bluffs from ground up. Right. And right. Can, you, can you describe what your rack was at that time? Um... Roped hexes, st- stoppers on rope. In fact, still got that stuff. And uh, some Tetons. And then we got into the big white cracks. We saw, I don't know, there was no internet. So, so I think it was catalogs. And I ordered a bunch of Tetons. And then we made some out of big, huge, big, huge nuts. Just right. put rope through them. That's yeah. what we used. But they, were, they weren't they were offset, right? They were, it was a nut. So right. it didn't really fit perfectly in the crack. For, for people that don't know, can you describe what a Teton is? It's like an angle iron with a bunch of holes drilled in it to keep it light. And they're like wedges that are from like four inches across to 10 inches. Still have the rack and we just put those in the crack. But if you rotate them, they'd fall out. Right. So we would sometimes use bongs, big wide pitons and pound those in the crack. Okay. So we'd be lead climbing with bongs and a hammer. And were you were you making those yourself? Uh, no, no. We, we, we bought them. Yep. From, uh, what was it, Ontario, uh, Canadian Mountain Supply out of Oakville. Cool. So I, I know Paul D and I drove down there once to buy a whole crap, a whole load of stuff. We saw stuff in there we'd never seen before. Yeah. And then early 80s, we got, I think 85 was the first um, solid cams. Right. And that changed that changed everything. And that's like the, the original wild country friend you're talking that's right. about. Yeah. And yeah. Can you for, for again for folks who haven't uh, heard of those before? Can you describe what the the original friend was like? It's just a solid bar with uh, cams at the end, and you put it in, and but you couldn't put it in. You weren't supposed to put it in horizontal cracks. We did because if you fail, you'd break the break the uh, bar in half. And, and did did that ever happen? Did you ever snap the stem on one uh, of those? No, no, no. I was kind of scared a few times. <laughs> Bad. Yeah. Yeah, but we didn't have a lot. I mean, we had no money back then, so we were just like leapfrogging friends. We'd climb up, put a friend's in, and then get lowered off a friend, go all the way down, pull them all out, and go back up. So you had one friend, and you're 50 feet off the ground, and you just start leading again. Mm-hmm. We did that with ice screws. We didn't have enough. Right. Yeah. And were you were you influenced by the the sort of like Yosemite style of the era, like the, the sort of ground-up only, uh, like no hang-dogging kind of ethic? Um, no, we never, we had our own, like, we just did our own thing. Cool. I don't remember thinking of Yosemite until late 80s, when a picture book came out. Okay. Yeah. So we just did our own thing. Yep. Somehow we survived. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Especially up there at Thunder Bay. Oh, I bet, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, we've all had our, our share oh, of loose rock encounters in Thunder Bay. Yeah, some of the rocks we dropped at uh, Sleeping Giant, huge, like, size of a refrigerator and just be, on, be climbing, get to a ledge. Is this thing loose? And it would wobble and knock it down, get the belayer to tie you off and run out of the way. Wow. And just come down and just crush a huge birch tree. Wild. Especially on a climb called Dance Macabre. Yeah. 
That was one, yeah. Sounds like an appropriate name. Oh, my God. <laughs> just goes on and on. Wow. And, uh, yeah, let's talk about Sleeping Giant for a sec. So, I mean, folks in Thunder Bay these days know that Sleeping Giant is no longer open to climbing, but back in the day, I mean, everything was kind of fair game in the, yeah. the 80s, right? Yeah, and, and the first climb we did there was Discovery. Um, Tom Morrissey lived in Atticoken, and we were climbing in the pit, and we ran into him. It was called the Pit and the Pendulum, and we, he wanted to climb wanted to come and do some new climbs, so he showed up at my house, and I remember getting out of the truck looking at me, see, are you Dr. Livingstone? Who are you? I'm Tom. Okay, hop in, we're gonna go climbing. You ever second before? Nope, just top rope. So we're gonna go with Sleeping Giant. We walked all the way in, walked up the talus, just saw a line, and, and that was the climb called Discovery. I think it was five pitches, four pitches. Cool, and that's, I mean, to this day is still one of the tallest, if not the tallest routes in town. Yeah, yeah, and uh, classic route, and uh, we use pitons. I know there might be a stopper still there that we that I fell on and got stuck on the finger crack. And uh, over the years, we did that thing like 30, 40 times. So that, that actually raises another point. So in that era, there was, I think that was probably still in the heyday of like leader must not fall kind of epic. Oh, yeah. Were you guys out there taking whips or were you um, trying not to fall at no, all costs? trying not to fall. No, yeah. didn't really fall off that thing. Got, you know, like we come up to a crack and we couldn't see the top, so you just start climbing up it, but it was wide and mm-hmm. like shoulder jams in there. Yeah. That's 83 before cams, but Teton. So I put a Teton in. I remember getting over a crack looking down. He says, Hey, this thing fell out of the crack. <laughs> there I was like 50 feet up on a third pitch with no protection. Wow. Jammed in this crack. But we were, you know, like 83. How old I've been? Uh, so like early 20s. So no fear. Yeah, of course. Right? And you knew that if you got hurt there, you're going to die. Yeah, this is obviously uh, way, way before cell phones or satellite phones. Yeah, we used to cache gear there under a bench shake. We'd cache our gear under a boulder and then ride our bikes and and walk in. And then we'd come back with our bikes and we'd leave our tents and everything underneath this boulder. So we'd just ride back in with the bikes with water and food and set up camp at at Letman's Bay and then uh, climb up and work on the talus. Yeah. There's a couple pictures in Eric's guidebook of us there. Yeah, there are some great old photos yeah, in yeah. the in the yeah. book. For anyone that had, for anyone that doesn't already have a copy of uh, Thunder Bay Climbing written by Eric Fishman, you should pick one up um, for lots of reasons. But one of them is because there are some very cool old photos of oh, Sean's uh, Sean's early new routing in Thunder Bay. Yeah, 81, 82, 83. So yeah, let's talk about that era of climbing in in Thunder Bay. So I mean. The, the vast majority of the early routes in Thunder Bay were either put up by you or you and some of your friends or a few of those same friends climbing on their own. Yeah, yeah. Um, what was it like just kind of questing off to to go, you know, start up new things? What did people think of what you were doing? Did people think you were crazy? Oh, yeah. I mean, I, I sent out that uh, proposal to turn uh, sent, uh, the bluffs into a uh, climbing park. Never had a, Never had a response. Oh, yeah, the city just didn't know what to do yeah, with it. Yeah, they just, it's like, okay, just don't kill yourself. Just do your own thing. Right. But they didn't know that Paul D and I went in there and climbed called Splitting, Splitting Beaver. Mm-hmm. Had a had a tree growing right up the crack. So we went in there at night with, with uh, flashlights. Remember, it was just before headlamps. And we're at Little Sawn. Oh, I hear, I hear somebody. Gosh. This is during night, like midnight. We're cutting a tree down. And um, power line corridor. Oh, you couldn't see the climbs because it was so so dense with with balsam and crappy trees. So right. We didn't feel that guilty cutting the trees down. 
yeah. And then I was there two years ago. Holy shit. Yeah. Is it ever different now? Totally, yeah. Yeah, it's probably hard to imagine for people that are climbing there these days, oh, but yeah. it's yeah. it's pretty uh, it's pretty thoroughly established at this point. Yep, like Twin Sisters, that had a, that had a tree. Falling, falling Rock next door had a tree. Mm-hmm. Every, it was trees everywhere. You couldn't walk along the cliff. Mm-hmm. And it took us weeks to cut it out. I bet. Yeah. Cool. Yeah, and I mean, those roots are still still getting climbed today. Yeah, yeah, which is great. Totally. In terms of, of like, your style of, of development, um, you said that you were you were keen on going ground up on stuff. Um, were you doing any rat bolting in that era, or was everything all ground up? Um, no, it was, in Thunder Bay, it was all ground up. And that's ground up, drilling on the lead with a hand drill. So again, for this, this is you know digging into history that people might not fully understand. What is what is the process of drilling a bolt on lead with a hand drill? So let me use um, American Demon at Squaw Bay. So Dave Poggle shows up. It's October. We start going up this crack, and then it became aids. So we're aiding horizontal off ropes, knife blades, and it started snowing. So we called it. So then I went back with uh, Scott Krez. We had left a couple uh, pins in, went across, and then he climbed up this crack, trying to free climb this crack, and it, and it got down to from like a fist to finger to nothing. And it was five hours of hand drilling to go another 20 feet to make the top. Wow. So you're hand drilling diabase, and, and the uh, redhead bolts were maybe one inch long. So the first five are one inch, the next five are like half an inch, and it was getting so tired that I just drilled it so it would hold. Right. So it was sticking sticking out. So if you go there on American Demon, you'll see the original redhead bolts. Wow. A lot different now with the with the hand drill. Yeah. And I mean, American Demon, I don't think sees many repeats these days, but I know that it has been eyed for a, a first free ascent. So maybe yeah. maybe one of these days somebody will do it. Somebody yeah, in the I, new generation. I, I don't think so. Unless, no. they, unless they step in and, and put their fingers on our bolt. Gotcha. It's just blank at right. the top. And you can get your fingers, but narrower than your fingers. It's nothing, there's no, it's diabase. There's right. no ledges. It's right. just smooth with a crack. Well, we'll see. Maybe the next generation will figure it out. Yeah, I hope so. Is there, are there any routes in Thunder Bay that, that stand out to you as like your, you know, the, the ultra classics, the things you're the most proud of? Pro. Like I tell uh, myself, the best climbs, the climbs I remember are the first climbs I did there. Like Tempest stands mm. out because it was the first climb I did at Orient Bay. Yep. Um, Camel Bay, getting oriented mm-hmm. with, uh, with um, uh, some American guys. Uh, the bluffs would be Askripper. Yeah. Askripper was brutal. Yeah, I bet. Was, Still it was, is. It was Tetons. And once you got up on the left side, there was a flake you could grab. Mm-hmm. But remember, leading that with Bill Ostrom, and all my pieces had fallen out. Oh wow! And I'm up there, I'm holding on to this crack. Like, Fuck! If I fall, I'm gonna die. So I end, end up getting a huge hex in there. Mm-hmm. Top. I'm not gonna lead that climb no more. Fair. Yeah. I mean, it's it's pretty full on still with yeah, yeah. you know like modern you know eight inch cams. Yeah. Yeah. It's so. like, and it graded what five eight. Uh, yeah, I think so. Five AR grays are like so screwy. Oh yeah, classic bluff sandbag. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so that was one I remember, and then Spit and Beaver was the other one. Mm-hmm. That's another classic. So always, even even down here, or even the ice climbs, there's always the first climb that 
we did in that area just to climb a memorable. Right. They're like, it doesn't matter on the grade. I don't care about the grades. Yeah. The like striking line that yeah, stood yeah. out to you the first Lake, time you went Lake there. Lake Agawa, 160 climbs. The, the first climb I remember is this is a trestle. You know, 100 meters of like three. Cool. And there's grade fives, five pluses, but, but they're insignificant because that mm-hmm. was the climb we first did. That's w- WI3, you mean? Yeah. Yeah. So it's the first climb in the area. And even here in Batchewana, I think of the areas in the first climb would be at Covenant Wall, named after all the characters in the Covenant movie. Again, yeah. every cliff, the climb that's most significant, it's the first climb I did on it. Conquering New Grand. Yeah. Very cool. So let's let's talk about ice climbing then. So you you started ice or you started rock climbing in Thunder Bay first, correct? Yep, in, in September seventy nine. Yeah, and then how much later was it that you started ice climbing there? Started ice in December 80. Okay, so pretty back-to-back. Yep, first climb, we used to hitchhike to Kakabeka Falls. Right, and okay. there's an article in, Superior, I think it's Superior Ice, about us climbing at Kakabeka. We wrapped down, started climbing, and for some reason we said, oh, let's get out of here. And we went up, and we met the hydro guys, and they said, what are you guys doing here? We're climbing. Well, there's a bit, there's, watch what happens. And all of a sudden, the ice fall, dis, Kakaba Falls, disappeared at the ice wall, turned it into a raging waterfall. Wow, because they had let more water through the dam? more water out. So okay. said, we're going to do, do a show. We're going to do a, a news story on this. Wow. So they flew us. We were in a helicopter, and uh, the media was there on the bridge, and it was all frozen solid. And you can see this ripple coming down the, the river, and all of a sudden, the falls turned into frozen waterfall turned into a raging torrent wow and so had we been there another hour it wouldn't exist today we've wow. been washed out down the cam cam river so, so we, for anyone that's ever considered climbing kakabaka yeah, falls no, that's the reason not to do no, it and that's why we went looking at ulcers we went to pigeon pigeon river and then there was a, a picture of a waterfall frozen waterfall at orient bay so paul Didi and i drove up his dad's car he wasn't very happy about that <laughs> snowing like hell and we we got up. We could see this. And, hey, that's a picture. Of the, that's the waterfall that's in the in the newspaper. So we climbed that. That, that was Tempest, but it was like a, a snowy, windy day. And that's why we called it Tempest. Gotcha. Okay. So cool. again, of all the climbs I did at Orient Bay, the most significant one is the first climb we did Tempest. Cool. Yep. Um, and then you you went on to start Ice Fest. When when did Ice Fest start? It started in '85. Beardmore at the Iron Lung Suite. We call it Iron Lung Suite because they had a um, was water heated, but the thing was boiling, and it would like all <laughs> 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 night long. Okay. And we had it at Beardmore. I think there were six of us, and then we moved it to Nipigon. Yeah. And then it grew, and then I left in two thousand, passed it over to some Americans. And it grew from like six to like over a hundred with, you know, visitors from all over. And that's, it's the longest running ice fest. Is it in Canada or in North America? Um, no, it's second after Valdez Ice Fest. Okay. So Valdez is number one and then Orient Bay is number two. Okay. And where's, where's Valdez? Valdez, Alaska. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. And then there's the Michigan Ice Fest, which we started after Orient Bay Ice Fest. Gotcha. Okay, cool. And some the over the years, some notable climbing figures have come to visit, either during Ice Fest or just at other times in the the climbing season. Can you yeah. 
tell me about some some notable characters that have uh, have been through. Alex Lowe was there in '96, climbing with us. Um, wow. Conrad Anker was there, and in the Superior Ice Guide, see some of the routes I did with him at Camma uh, Bay. Mark Wilford, Will Gad was there with Kim. For, wow. For a season, Scott Backies. Yeah. And uh, a few notable European climbers. Oh yeah. Have come over. Yeah. Once cool. once the articles got out in Climbing Magazine, Rock and Ice. Mm-hmm. And then one winter, I wrote a story for Iwutoyoki. It's called Rock and Ice. It's a Japanese magazine. Oh, yeah. We wrote a story on uh, Orient Bay in the 83. And in winter 84, we're out there. There was a van with uh, American license plates. All these Japanese guys got out. They couldn't speak any English. One guy did, and he had a... Uh, a I, I didn't see the story. He had this magazine photocopy. He says, he's pointing, pointing. This climb, this climb, and that was Tempest. So I wrote the story. They came over from Japan, six of them, to climb there. Cool. Yeah. And it, were they already experienced in ice at that yeah, point? Yeah, or? those guys were Himalayan climbers, but they had, you know, then they did uh, ice climbing in Korea, but they had seen this story about 105 climbs at Orient Bay. So that was just when the second guidebook came out that I'd written. There was a climber's guide to Thunder Bay, and there was a couple hand-printed maps with some of the ice climbs. Are there any any stories that stand out to you from climbing with any of those big names back in the day? Um, no, some guys were... No, I could rate, rate them. But <laughs> don't want to get into that. Yeah, but, that's But fair. mostly, you know, back then, climbers, we were just like comrades, fun. Yeah. No, it was nothing about ego, nothing about grades. Mm-hmm. How was that climb? Good. Never said, oh, that's, that's grade five. Right. No one ever talked grades. Right. It's just about getting up there. Just about having fun. Cool. Yeah, yeah. It's and so different now. Uh, Guy Lasalle as well spent some time climbing with you in Orient Bay, is that right? Yeah, but Guy Lasalle in 81, when we were climbing at Claghorn, the Claghorn by the creek, the big wall had never been, dis- we, we had discovered it, but it was all covered in trees. And right. Again, we went down there, we did one or two climbs, but we kind of focused around the main Claghorn wall. Right, so that would have been the what people call the... The outward bound wall. The outward bound wall, that's yeah. right. Yeah. So we rock climbed there. And then in the winter, Gila Cell and I started climbing Orient Bay. And we drove back and forth past Cascade. And there was that big ice chimney. And he said to me, I'm obsessed with that. So we went and did it and called it an obsession. Okay. Yeah. Wow. Cool. And I mean, I, I understand the feeling. That is a oh, yeah. that is a, a route that calls to, to you quite oh, yeah. strongly. I have also heard that that is the route that has caused the most injuries of any ice route in Orient Bay. That's right. Why? Because it's so accessible. It's true. And it really draws you in. Yeah, it pulls you in. And a uh, couple of guy, couple Americans, guy had fallen once, and his ice axe, he had leashes, and the ice axe had gone right through his outer shell, through his pile jacket, and it cut right through his, uh, uh, what's between the, what do you call that, between the... Uh, like the intercostal muscles? Intercostal muscles. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, big cut right through there. Oh, God. Like someone take a knife between his ribs. Oh, but it hadn't God. exposed down to his lung. Wow. Yeah. Yikes. And, and uh, yeah, so that's the only one I know of. I mean, I, I know there's been a few since I left. And yeah, I've heard of some, some broken legs. And yeah, yeah. I think people underestimate the pillar. Yeah. From can. the road, the pillar looks really small. But when you're at the base of it, the pillar that's looks right. pretty big. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I have bailed off of Obsession. Yeah. 
at least a few times. <laughs> we did it. I don't know. I must have done it like twelve times. Cool. Six times, and then we went to Ice Palace. Yeah. And we did. Uh, uh, remember the day was the first one, and, did, and we did Ranzarok's Tangent. And that yep. name came from a from a, a magazine called uh, uh, Heavy Metal. Okay. There's a cartoon character called uh, Ranzarok's. Okay. Sci-fi. We were, I was reading it while Guy was driving there. Cool. It's all, let's call it Ren's Rock Tangent. Remember the day, and then uh, Yvel de Saint. Yeah. Glass Eclaton was done by Guy and another guy from that were bound school. Cool. April April Ice, climbed in April. That's why we called it that. So all names, some names have reference to different things. Yeah, something that happened on the day. Or... Yeah. Tears of Joy, Paul Didi was going to lead the first pitch. He was crying because he, he was uh, halfway up with scared. Oh. So keep going. We'll get to the top. We got to the top, but we referenced it. Tears. That's why it's called T-E-A-R-S. Tears as in tears from your eyes yeah. of joy. Gotcha. Yeah. Are there any any root names that you look back on and wish that you could change? Things that maybe uh, haven't haven't stood the test of time? No, maybe spit and beaver. Right. Okay. Change that. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, no. Yeah. Um, there's an ice climb called Badass Babes. Okay. But uh, those girls were happy with that. Was Joanne and Carol? They were happy with that name. Right. Because they were pretty badass. They broke trail in there and led it. There you so go. That's never, pretty badass. So we never changed that name. Of course. No, we never really made up like offensive names. Yeah, I will say, actually, I was just looking right. through the book earlier and was no. trying to find some of the more dubious ones, no. and they weren't yours. Other people's. Yeah, no, Other people put up some pretty dubious ones, know, but I for know. the most part, I think, yeah, yours yours have stood the test of time better. Yeah. Because uh, I was married at the time, so I did. Yeah, you had to watch yourself. <laughs> yeah. Um, so that's all, all Thunder Bay based. Yeah. And then what year did you leave Thunder Bay? Um, would be fall... Fall 99. And you came to? Moved to Montreal River. Right. I had a woman in my life who lived near Detroit. So she wanted me to move closer. And we were just starting to develop the climbs. We had done some climbs at Montreal River, way up the reservoir in Agawa. But, but we'd, we had stayed at the, what's called, what was called Trails End Resort. So the owner says, well, move your business down here. You have a free place to stay and you can guide right out of here. So that's what I did, and uh, I moved down there, and he showed me a, took me down a road, Ramwick Road, and there was a wall there, 100 meters tall, 500 meters wide, that had never been touched, pure, pure granite. So started developing that in 99, and it had the lodge, and we were, in the wintertime, we were packed with climbers from all, Toledo and Chicago, and, and then I had five, four climbers come up, and they wanted to buy the place. So we bought the place and we ran it and called it the Mad Moose Lodge. And we were there. So during that, we developed uh, Panama Wall. We developed 175 ice climbs around Montreal River. Developed Ramwick Rock, which had like 60 climbs. Put out a guidebook in 2004, 1,000 copies. Uh, had more access to, to uh, Agua Canyon. And then we drive to Sioux for groceries. Uh, found Mile 38 Road, found ice climbs up there. And it was there at Mad Moose till 2004. And then uh, moved out, 
and stayed at the Voyager Lodge one winter running ice climbing and then found a place on the Chippewa River in 2004. And by 2009, we had developed 640 ice climbs up to 250 meters and 300 rock climbs up to 225 meters at eight separate areas. Wow. So, you know, moving from Thunder Bay, it was, again, exploratory. I want, you know, I felt I'd done enough at Thunder Bay. Time to pass the torch and move on to something different. And there was no no slab climbing at Thunder Bay, so when we got down here, huge slabs, like Oregai 6 is six pitches, and only one pitch has cracks. Wow. It's like 85 bolts on it. And it's... Six, it's well, really it's seven pitches because the bottom section is 60 feet and all the pitches are like you can't see the top of the climb. So that's Covenant Wall and Oregai 6 now has like four variations, all bolted. So, and then uh, there's Kundalini Wall where you went with me to do that crack. That's mm-hmm. 12 minutes from my house, four minute walk. It's pretty, so it's it's pretty easy minutes. access. Yeah. <laughs> Even closer than going to the bluffs. Yeah, there you go. But this wall is 100 meters tall, 500 meters wide. Still, Wild. Still getting developed. So there's eight separate areas on mile 38 road, and the longest drive for me from my house is like 30 minutes. And so for, for folks who aren't familiar with the area, we're talking about like half an hour to an hour west of Sault Ste. Marie. Uh, yep, north. Northwest. Okay, yeah. Bajuana, yeah. Cool. And can you describe how the rock is different than the rock in Thunder Bay? Well, rock in Thunder Bay is dive base with cooling cracks so it was poor it came up subsurface and then it cooled and as it cooled it formed chilling cracks and those were the cracks to climb so think of Orient Bay being like Devil's Tower and it had to take another million years to cool you would have columnar basalts and I remember someplace if you go to Caribou Island that's one of the spots where the dive base came out from the mantle and there's columnar basalts there Okay. If you look at the far right side, you can see where it's come up. And we we, cl- we cl- did lots of climbs there at Caribou Island. It's but, another spot that's closed now for yeah. those that aren't familiar yeah. with it. It's a, it's like a, a wilderness preserve of it some sort. Yeah. yeah. Whereas in, in Nip or in Batchuan, it's all granite, similar to Squamish. Not a lot of cracks. You get cracks in the joints. Mm-hmm. And like I was saying, when you get a, a lightning strike on a cliff, it fires out a shockwave. That shockwave will open up some open up some cracks, but all the granite here, they're all granite. Lots of slabs, but lots of steep, steep faces. Not um, uh, you got alien wall, and you climb up that, and you cross a quartz vein. It's got copper in it. You go to uh, go to B wall. It's ten meters from the road, right beside the road, all bolted. Cool. Uh, you go to Riverbend Rock, kilometer ten on mile thirty eight road, five minute walk. Wow. Short but sassy wall, three-minute walk. So there's lots of, but it's all granite. Granite or migmatites. Okay. So you clearly know a lot about rock, and that doesn't just come from rock climbing. Uh, you want to talk a little bit about your, your work yeah. outside of rock climbing? Yeah, my, my true profession is uh, geology, geophysics. Okay. So I've been here since 2004, staked a bunch of claims, and uh, always out looking for veins on cliffs and we're working right now we went in 31 kilometers took me eight days to cut the road out for a quad and we came around the corner there's a cliff there's 250 meters wide 500 meters 250 meters high 500 meters wide never been climbed 
that ice climbs and there's a, another wall there called Treehouse Rock. There's this treehouse built on the bush. We climbed up there and we looked out. There's a big cliff. And then there's uh, a tea house, tea house rock. There's a little cabin in the bush. So we're, we're getting there. We'll probably be there to develop up this uh, fall because we've got to get in and do those ice climbs. Right. And that'll be snowmobile access? Uh, snowmobile access, yeah. Yeah. You do a lot of snowmobile access stuff in the winter, right? Oh, yeah. Like uh, the only way to get the stratosphere is snowmobile. Gotcha. But it's, you know, it's only been, it, we found it 2002, so we've been climbing 14 times. Wow. It's uh, four full pitches. Um, what grade think, does it go at? Uh, the pillar is like four. Okay. But I'm not, I've got into since now, I'm not grading stuff. Yeah. It's called Fun Factor. Nice. How hard is that climb? I don't know, it's fun. Nice. Five out of five. So, gotcha. So now it changes climber's perspective because you go on a wall. And they don't know how the, what the grade is. So should I do it or shouldn't I? All right. right. You get more you're enticed by the line rather than yeah, the grade. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So not grading anything. And then my new guidebook will have no grades. Okay. Just to throw that out there and see how it changes climber's perspective. Interesting. Once you throw in grades, you throw in ego. Right? Like, how hard are you climbing? I don't know. No clue. I haven't. All the climbs I'm doing, not grading. Gotcha. So I haven't been, have been on a climb that's 5'9". To grade that, grade my my ability. Right. I don't know. Just Interesting. I just do it for fun. Yeah, totally. Um, the gear, of course, has changed a huge amount in oh. your your tenure in climbing. Can you talk a bit about? I mean, of course, it's it's changed a lot in rock climbing, but it maybe has been a bit more game changing in ice climbing. Can you talk a bit about like the gear that you started with versus the gear you're using now? So, for instance, Cascade Falls, first ascent, Paul Didi and I, 1981. We had four Chouinard ice screws. Wow. So he wanted to lead it. So I started leading, and he's playing off my off his harness using a stitch plate. Mm-hmm. People know what that is. Or, or we used to use body belays, believe it or not. Ice right. So for I those lead- that don't know, a stitch plate is basically like an ATC without the wire. Right. So... I climbed up, put in four screws, make sure the top screw's good. Okay, lower me down. So he lowered me down. I pulled the three screws below, out, top rope back up to the upper screw, and then lead. I put in three screws, and hopefully he gets to the top. But I remember it was like three pitches because I put my screws close together. I always did. And I never go to top of climb. When I got to the top of climb, even now, if I carry 10 screws, I put 10 screws in. I don't have anything left in my, on my rack. So we'd do that, and then he'd, he'd just top rope up to the top, go to a tree. But remember, the trees at Cascade are way back, so we had to put tie around the tree and get lowered back so I could see him coming up. And that's what, I mean, I remember with uh, Obsession, the same way. We had five screws, all those climbs. Andromeda weeps. Climbed up with a hand drill, put in five screws, got to the top, drilled those two old uh, Allen-keyed... Uh, redheads yep. and wrap off it and then we we got more money and ordered more screws but the screws are nothing like today because you had a you had a chenard screw and they had a little tool called the win- ice winch it was like a ratchet but remember we had we had uh, slings attached to our harnesses from the tools so you usually always climb with two hammers so you pound the other hammer in with the with the other hammer mm-hmm. and hang off it was really hard and then uh, put a screw in and it, both hands pull the pull the tool out, and start climbing up again. Wild. 
And so for the most part, like screws, you couldn't easily place a screw with one hand. Oh, no. Sometimes you'd have to hang off one hand, put the screw in, get it started, and pound it with the other tool to get right. it started. Yeah. Put this ice wench. And there was no, no such thing as screamers. It was just ice screw, beaner, beaner. Not even, there wasn't any quick draws back in the early years where you'd have to make them up of slings that you, there wasn't sewn slings. You had to get a piece of webbing, tie a knot in it, mm -hmm. and then uh, carry it on your harness. Gotcha. The craziness. I mean, look at that picture up there. There you go. That's what we look like. Yeah. So yeah, for for, for people that are listening, uh, that's Sean leading what looks like, I don't know, WI two or three, probably three, um, with straight shaft tools and... Rock some, hammer. Yeah, yeah, and a rock hammer. Oh and how about the crampons and boots, too? Those have changed a lot. Oh, yeah. Those are big leather skirt, big leather Fabiano boots, which I wore to Nepal. Oh, yeah. So you sent to Italy, you outline your foot, and these boots came, and they weighed like 20 pounds each. Wow. So they were custom. Each pair of boots yeah, was custom. Uh, back in, that was for the expedition to to Nepal in 80. Those were custom boots. Wow. Then we had leathers, and they got the Scarpa and Vernos. Okay. And now, really lightweight boots. So I mean, still got my old gear. Got like, I don't know, 40 pairs of boots. Right. That I use for teaching. Gotcha. And you were, you were saying yesterday that uh, some one time some hot shots from the U.S. came up and wanted to try and do some climbing on your old gear. Yeah, so I'm at, at Search Mount, and they had stayed here, and I said, hey, I said, uh, you guys hardcore? Yeah. See those screws on the wall? Take those. See those tools? Straight shafted? Take those. See those crampons? I'll adjust them for your boots. Oh, and take those leather boots. And they went out there, and they gave up after a second screw. I'm, I'm wasted. <laughs> What are you wasted for? That's how we used to do it. So you guys were hardcore. So they put all my stuff down. They went back to the car, five-minute walk, came back with all their gear, and, like, ran up this climb. Totally. Yeah. So that really does underscore just how <coughs> just how wild things were in that era, putting hard stuff up with oh. the gear of the day. Yeah, and it's just mental, right? Totally. Because think of, think of uh, the third pitch on uh, Stratosphere, your... Uh, 150, 300, you're 450 feet up looking down at the snowmobile and you're on this pillar and the pillar's steep. I mean, I call it grade four, but some people call it five, five mm -hmm. plus, I don't know. I don't care. And the guy's like, oh, i got to get this screw in or I'm going to fall. You better not fall here, dude. <laughs> and we've got bolts. We've got bolts on the way up on the wall because the second pitch is no, ice is too thin, it can't get any screws in it. It's full 50 meters. So we got Okay. I think we got three bolts. Gotcha. Three bolts in in 150 feet. Cool. But it's not that hard. You're not gonna fall up. Fall right. Up it. But if you did fall, you go whipping down this this gully. Wow. So, you know, I'm still using my old tools. I still use my Vipers. They probably got 15,000 meters of of climbing on them. And people say, why don't you change them? Why? Why change them? I like them. Yeah. If it ain't broke, don't fix it. Yeah, it doesn't broke. I remember. I remember breaking a black. Black profit graphite, or uh, yeah, graphite handle. Right, right in half, climbing obsession. So, so I swing, thing breaks right in half. I got my other tool in, so I just got lowered off it. Gotcha. But the but the shaft was broken right in half. Wow. From pounding too many snarks. Right. Yeah, snarks. That's a whole other thing. Yeah. Cool. Can you can you describe a snarg for the uh, listeners? It's like a drive-in ice screw that doesn't have uh, threads on it. They're with fine, fine threads. So you'd pound them in like a nail, and then your second would unscrew them, but it'd take forever to get them out. Wow. 
but I still carry them. Still carry uh, high drive snarks. Always have one in my rack if I run into trouble. You can pound them in and get them in four inches and clip to it. Gotcha. Can't do that with a screw. Like you just would clip around the whole screw itself, uh, or no, around the whole no, snark. It would just go in like a nail. Okay. And it wouldn't spin, so you can uh, just okay. clip your quick draw to it. Gotcha. Yeah. Huh. So it's a lot more safer now with the screws. A lot more safer now with with uh, screamers. Mm-hmm. Safer gear, faster to put a screw in. Mm-hmm. In the old days, it'd take ten minutes to build a screw in. So imagine hanging. Wow. On a grade four off one arm. Ten minutes to put a screw in. Wow. Now. I get my screws in in 20 seconds. Right. Yeah, that's a game changer. And lighter, lighter, right? Back then, the screws were heavier. Oh, yeah, your whole rack probably weighs, what, like half what it used oh, to? Yeah, or? yeah, yeah. Although maybe not because you only had four screws, so. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> <laughs> so, hey, 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 Paul Didi, the, the screws are 50 bucks. You want to split on one? I don't think I can afford it. <laughs> but now, oh, my God. Oh, yeah. I've got so many screws. I, I don't know. Totally. I got two sets of 30. Wow. So, so I'll use a set and then they'll get dull and send them away to get sharpened and use the second set. Nice. And I got old screw, old screws that I'll leave in if I have to bail. Yep. I still bail. I, I do it for fun. Huh? Nothing to prove. Yeah, totally. It's got to be fun. Better safe than sorry. Oh, my God. To make it through the ice climate the way we did, knocking big, big chunks of ice. You know, falling and there's screws stuck in the ice and the ice is coming down with you and it slides down the rope. Wow. Hits the next screw and stops and all the ice shatters off it. Wow. Yeah. Wild. Yeah, any any particularly notable horror stories from back in the day? Um, falling, uh, flying Circus, Agua. <coughs> That'd be 86 with uh, Ron Steer. And flying Circus was two two-tiered pillar so I climbed up I put one screw in and the guy was on the ledge I got to the top and I was like it's not showing off I made it and I fell off I remember going flying through the air and feeling the tightness of that screw and it was like 15 feet off the deck so it was like a 20 maybe 20 meter 20 15 meter fall 45 foot lead fall wow off one screw and it held it helped. Yes, I got it in my, my bunkie. It's all bent, but no screamer. Right. So that's uh, that's what we call the flying circus. And then at uh, um, Powerline Falls, mm-hmm. they were having the Banff Film Festival. Went out there with a couple guys, hanging belay halfway up, and I fell. Went flying by the guy, but I caught something on the way down. He says, "You okay? Yeah, I'll get back up and climb." So I climbed back up. He brought, came up, come down, wrapped down. My foot was hurting. So we drove all the way back, and I had my running shoe on my right foot, but my left foot was, I knew I twisted my ankle, so I just left my my, my foot in my boot for mm-hmm. two days to take the swelling out. Wow. Like, what are you doing in here? <laughs> yeah, I'm film festival. you got a running shoe and a, and a, a scarf, a purple boot. What are you doing with wearing a purple boot? That's hilarious. Yeah, people must have thought you were just absolutely oh, nuts. Yeah. Well, people did thought it was crazy back then because you're you're pioneering in something completely new. People didn't, didn't understand. Everything, yeah. everything changed when we got that story in uh, Canadian Geographic in 1993. Okay. And then they were going to film uh, Batman and Robin at Cascade. And the original script for Batman and Robin 
there was a fight scene on the falls and they came, executive director came up with Tourism Thunder Bay and they wanted to meet with the uh, folks in Nipigon. They wanted to rent the arena all winter <laughs> and do uh, scenes in there and rent out every motel. And Nipigon didn't want to because of, of the hockey. I uh, can't mess with hockey. Can't mess with hockey. <laughs> and they had the Batmobile was going to go down, uh, down uh, Highway 11. I mean, I, th- I got the script around here still. That's hilarious. And they said, no. Okay. Huh. And the guy said, you know how much money we're going to bring to Nipigon? Oh, we don't care. We need the hockey. We need the rink for hockey. We wow. need the motel for, for curlers. <laughs> and they moved the set to Vermont in an in a, in a old quarry. It got too warm. <laughs> they cut the scene and they went and did it CGI, <laughs> the battle scene. Gotcha. But Arnold was going to be there and the whole gang. But when that, because of that, that turned the view of ice climbing. Holy shit. This is a big thing. Right. Orient Bay is rated the top six in North America for destinations. Cool. But look at it. Yeah, it's wild. It's wild. And I mean, if we had a train to Agua, be it more, more beautiful than Orient Bay. Wow. Longer yeah. climbs. For people who aren't familiar with Agua, what can you describe Agua Canyon? Uh, it's a it's a canyon that cuts through the the uh, Precambrian rocks. It's it starts at one ten, goes to uh, one sixteen. On the east side, the walls are what, 100 meters tall. On the west side, they're 200 meters tall. There's 160 climbs there. Wow. So we started developing that in 86. We, we skied in from the highway, got the tracks. We're skiing, snowshoeing along the tracks, and this truck stops. And there's two guys in it, Mike and uh, Jason. They had just started work. And they said, where are you guys going? Agua Canyon. What for? Ice climbing. Oh, yeah, beautiful ice climbs there. Bridal Falls is there. Where you stand? Are we going to camp? No, no, no. We can stay in our warm up shack. Oh, nice. So they dropped us off. The heater was on. Amazing. Bunk beds, little kitchen. We stayed there for like four days. And then they, they came by and took us back to the road, back to, and we, we, we snowshoot back out from freighter. Awesome. But yeah, 300, it took 380 nights, 380 days. In Agua Canyon to develop 164 climbs. So basically, a full year of your life spent in Agua Canyon. Yeah, that's wild. But beautiful. And uh, once the train, we'd we'd have ice fest there, and there, it would get it probably got 3,000 visitors mm-hmm. between '86 and 2014 when they stopped the train. Right. But we still go in by in by snowmobile. Cool. Yeah. And there's a chance that the train might start running again at some point. Yeah, they're working on it. The new owners. Cool. Are really keen on uh, um, having outdoor activities, and they're like ice climbing, rock climbing, rafting, mountain biking, hiking. Cool. But it's beautiful. The Europeans that came over from Holland and Belgium, they'd never seen anything like that. Wow. Like wild. Get off a train and camp out. Cool. And you could have take anything on the train. So we'd get on, there'd be 20 of us, we'd have a Coleman stove, we'd have a barbecue. <laughs> We had a generator. We had right. a boombox going at night. We're dancing around the fire. All right, oh glamping. Glamping. It was great. <laughs> That's awesome. You know? Glamping in minus 40. Glamping in minus 40. Wow. Yeah. yeah. So I was just looking through your your museum in the bunkie there, and I noticed a uh, award from, was it the Ontario Police Commissioner or something like that? Uh, yeah, OPP Commissioner. Yeah. Citation of Bravery. Wow. Well, what's, what's that story? Um, I was... Home, I think it was 93, 
Yeah, 93, and, and I got a call from the OPP saying, can you help with a rescue? The firemen can't really do it. Tell, send me info. The guy's stuck on a cliff, and uh, it's over this area. He was, he was climbing up the cliff, got stuck on a ledge. Was he a, a rock climber or just somebody uh, just else like scrambling? scrambling with, yeah. his, with his buddies. His buddy called the search and rescue. Search, search and rescue was there. Thunder Bay Fire Department was there. So I said, hey, can you, you guys have a helicopter? Yeah. I said, okay, send a helicopter to this park, and you'll meet Bill Conkle and I. So we got our gear together, and we got in this chopper. And, of course, neighbors, like, wonder why his chopper's landing in the park. <laughs> this is in Port, in, in, uh, Port Arthur. So he flies us out, and we're talking. He's got the scanner on there for infrared and stuff, and we're talking. we got our gear in the back. So we see the kid. He takes the kid on the cliff, and you can see the park, the parking area down below with the fire trucks and search and rescue. And I said, see that pond there? Maybe 50 meters away from the cliff edge. Mm-hmm. Just drop us off there. So I said, Bill, you go with the chopper pond and walk up to the base. So I had an extra harness, a rope, some slings, two helmets dropped me off in the pond I kind of, he kind of hovered I jumped out went over the cliff wrapped down put the guy in a harness then then he wrapped down with me with that rescue uh, rappel device that bar mm-hmm. got to the bottom was back to the chopper but before the blades had stopped stopped, wow. <laughs> stopped running so the fireman came over holy how'd you do that so fast professional climber dude yeah not a wannabe climber yeah, that's and, fair. And uh, the guy said, oh, we're going to give you something. So they called up. They want to have a presentation. No, we don't want no presentation. That's what we do. So they gave one to Bill and gave one to me. Nice. But the kid just got, was climbing up, got stuck on a ledge. Right. All in all, 15 minutes. Hmm. Wow. The firemen had been there for four hours. Wow. <laughs> so. Yeah. And that, it was top rescue. But they couldn't get to the top of the cliff. Right. Yeah, that's a, that's a thing that... <coughs> Thunder Bay is is definitely lacking is high angle rope rescue capabilities. Oh yeah, I mean, you know, I don't think the Alpine Club could do it. Eric and and you guys could do it. Yeah, that's that's what we've always said to each other is like you know if if one of us gets stuck, we're we're not calling the fire department, no, we're calling each fire other. Min, fire department aren't climbers. Exactly. Right. There is. I think there's one guy on the fire department now who is a climber. Yeah. So that helps. But uh, but one climber can't do it. No, exactly. You need you need, uh, you need, a, team. need a team. The same as here. We got all the rescue stuff there. Mm-hmm. So I've done. Uh, I haven't done any. No. No. Well, uh, so there's a whole other category of things to talk about, which yeah. is is the big mountains climbing outside of Ontario. Yeah. Um, where do you want to start? Where's what's the most uh, like? Have you so let's let's start with Canada. Um, what kind of stuff have you done outside of Ontario and Canada? Have you climbed uh, in the Rockies? In the Rockies, or? yeah. Yeah. Uh, Colorado, done the volcanoes. Yeah. And then uh, Nepal, 1978, I climbed there. 1980, climbed there for five months. And what kind of, kind of like, what style of climbing would that have been? Alpine style. Big, big peaks. Cool. And like a mix of ice, rock, and snow? Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. 1980, Lang Tang, 13,000 vertical feet. We, it was 7,400 meters. We made it to 68. And then uh, we called that called that off, and we went to northern India and did six new routes there. Wow. Himachal Pradesh, and then planned a trip to, back to Nepal in 1984 with, with Don Searle and uh, Peter Croft. You know that name? Yeah, I didn't know you'd climbed with Peter Croft. So we brought Peter Croft in 
for the rock section. Cool. He's the rock rope gun. Yeah. Yeah. And then he helped us get through that, and then he went tricky. Cool. And then uh, big trips to big trips to Peru, 1980. Yeah. Hawaii Wash Alpine Club trip called off because we got attacked by terrorists, held hostage. Seriously. Big gunfight. Yeah. Oh my God! It's like some Tommy Caldwell level uh, uh, more, story. More. Wow. Because when the police came in. You're wondering why none of us have been shot. So yeah. I'm the leader. I'm the I'm the sympathizer with the Senderos. Right. So they executed one of the Senderos. The police executed one of the Senderos in front of me. One of the uh, German climbers was killed. So we had to go recover his body. We brought them guys out on horses. We get to town. There was a guy waiting for me who was the Mayan manager of Pashapaki. On the way in, we had met him. But on the way out, he said, I want to talk to you tonight. You CIA informant. Wow. He said, I'm going to get you get off a bus here in the morning. You guys get to get out of here. Because the policemen are senderos. It's all. So we left. Went to climb Alpha Mile. Did a new route in Alpha Mile between the French and the, and the Ferrari route with Pocho and my wife. And then I left Peru, 88. Went back in 93. Worked there from 93 to 2000 in the summers. And I don't know, did 14 new routes and 18 new attempts. Wow. And I try to go there every year. In fact, I should be there this week for the last two weeks, but cancels it because of work. Gotcha. But uh, again, exploratory. I never do repeat routes there. Mm-hmm. Always new stuff is Shinka, Santa Cruz attempts, Shack Shoe. Uh, we're down, across, down uh, exploring the Rara range. Nobody. And uh, take a truck right to base camp. Big big walls. Wow. Nobody goes there. All unclimbed. Wow. And like what what kind of like style of climbing or grades or? Um, I know steep, you don't like grades. Steep but. Uh, snow and ice. Yeah. Yeah yeah. Like 50, 60 degrees. Yeah. 400, 800 meters. Wow. Wrapping off snow pickets. Wrapping off old ice screws, old titanium ice screws. Wow. It's got to ca- have a cache gear down there. Everything for like trekkers for uh, maybe eight people. Mm-hmm. Gear down there and never come home. Hmm. Took it down when I worked down there and just cashed it. Right. Got a friend down there and taking a group of women there next summer. Cool. To go climbing and, and trekking. Wow. Uh, no interest in going back to Nepal. No? Just too too busy or too big a uh, mission? Just, or? I've been there. Been there, down there? Been there in the 80s, yeah. Yeah, fair. You know, um, Peru I like because the geology is just amazing. I'm cool. Among the peaks and it's still active, right? Right. So I got friends down there. All my gears down there. That's where I go. I like, like the people, and like speaking Spanish. Cool. Do you, you speak fluent Spanish? Yeah. Nice. So I, I don't no interest in Europe. I'm 66 years old. Fair. You know, so stick just, to what you like. Yeah. You know, get nothing to prove. You know, I like just do what I want to do. Totally. That's awesome. Yeah. And so, I mean, there's obviously a big, a big jump in technical difficulty from like, you know, cragging in Thunder Bay to wrapping off a snow picket at 6,800 meters. Yeah. How do you how do you go from one to the other? Just experience, practice. Yeah. Right? Climbing, climbing there where we spent four months there. We were on Langtang for two months, and then we caught the bus to Manali in India, and we climbed there for two months. Wow. Every Just day. Figuring it out as you go. Yeah. Yeah. Wild. Yeah. That's super wild. But um, I still like still like the ice climbing, the rock climbing. Yeah. Still doing new developments. Never like last winter we had forty new routes on 
the hit list, they were all over 150 meters. Got to none of them because too much snow, mm. too cold. Gotcha. Right. And snow, snow is too deep to mm-hmm. break trail in. Right. We had to leave our packs, snowshoe in for an hour and a half, come back, sit the pack for an hour, go back in, going to go back the next day. The snow's three feet. <laughs> wow. Snowmobiles getting stuck. Right. Right. Running out of fuel. So, you know, yeah, everybody has ideas, right? You have dreams of what you want to do. Totally. Let's change in this in the instant. Absolutely, yeah. You know, break a belt on the snowmobile, pull pull cord brakes at the truck, day's over. Yeah. For right. sure. I don't have a come on, so we have to come all the way home. Get come on, go back. You just come along the haul it back on the on the trailer. Wow. Next day you take it, get fixed. So you lost just lost two days of climbing. Totally. How many how many days would you say that you climb in the average year? Winter. Let's see. I don't really call it days, call it meters. So last True. year I did forty seven hundred meters. Wow. Of leading. The year before fifty seven hundred meters. So you basically like, you know, climbed Everest from base camp. Fifteen thousand feet climbing. Wow. So in a day we'll do maybe sometimes three hundred three hundred meters. Yeah. Because the climbs are so long. Mm-hmm. Climb one, wrap down, climb the other. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I'm teaching too, like like the guide service. So in 2020, it was like 350 clients. 2021, 350. And this year, like 360. Every wow. weekend. And where do most of your clients come from? Um, if I picked 100, uh, 80 would be from Sault Ste. Marie. 10 from Toronto, 10 from overseas. Okay. Yeah. Cool. So already getting bookings now for next winter, cool. Europeans. So I kind of like the climbing. I don't do the ice climbing for money. Mm-hmm. I just do it because I like it. Fair. It's fun to introduce lots of young kids, eh, 10 to 12 years old. Yeah. You know, I had one little kitty, a little girl, she was so keen. And she wanted to use my ice axe. I ended up giving her my helmet. <laughs> so here's my helmet. What's your name? And, she, and her, I'm in touch with her mom and dad, and she's like 12. She's got helmet on her on her dresser nice and the young little kid said I love that ice axe well here just 2J from Sean cool here take this home here's a present for you we can oh, always give kid be- kids beaners nice after a climb or ice screw here's ice screw nice just because they're some inspiration for them to do something different totally than uh, go snowboarding at search mountain yeah yeah, I wish I'd had someone to get yeah. me into climbing when I was 10. That would have been awesome. Yeah, and like young kids, a family calls. I don't even charge them. It's just here. Nice. And don't even put crampons on them. Just hook up a six-to-one pulley and pull them <laughs> up the wall. Cool. Look, Mommy, I can do this. Okay, <laughs> Mommy, you're a turn. Mommy's got ice axes and <laughs> and uh, crampons, and, and I have to put a 10-to-one pulley. <laughs> and they still can't get up. But it's fun to teach kids. Totally. Yeah. That's cool. Um, sort of... Going back towards the, the making the transition to the mountains, um, you know, for, you know, whether it's it's those kids that you're taking out ice climbing here or climbers in Thunder Bay or or whatever, what what advice would you give to people that want to get into bigger alpine objectives? How do you, how should they make that transition? I would uh, go on a guided trip. Yeah. Yeah. Learn the basics. Mm-hmm. Avalanches. And this is a lot to alpine climbing, especially higher altitudes with with physiology mm-hmm. you gotta know the physiology of altitude and best to it safe just don't go to uh, 
Peru or other, you can go to Rockies, but, you know, Chassis Rock. Mm-hmm. Best to, uh, I say, take a beginner's mountaineering course. Cool. Go climb the volcanoes first. Yeah. Easier. Yeah. Cool. Have you ever climbed in Patagonia? No. Any desire to? Or? Uh, no. It's just, it's just uh, <coughs> not really a big wall climber. Right. Right. Spent maybe three nights on the wall, and that was only a sleeping giant. <laughs> but, uh, you know, big walls, they don't appeal to me. All exploratory. Right. For me. Developing the ice climbs. Yeah. Developing new rock climbs where you go around here. You know, I'll, I'll die here. I won't move. Fair. I'll just keep developing routes. There's still, still 100 routes to do on Covenant Wall. It's 22 minutes from my house. Wow. Where you and I went, 14... 14 minute drive there's at least 50 routes there have you been there that, there this year wow yeah. if you had to if you had to ballpark the number of routes that you put up in your entire career what would you guess no idea like in the the realm of hundreds thousands, thousands tens of thousands thousands wow yeah that's wild I mean there's 600 in six, I think 640 ice climbs near here I've probably done 620 wow all the rock routes in Batchelona there's 300 done all of them none of them have ever been done by anybody else right only one developing new routes here and never mind you know half or two thirds or whatever of the routes in Thunder Bay uh yeah you know but you know I felt I was I'd I'd done enough climbing in Thunder Bay Mm -hmm. and again met a woman kind of changed my whole life there you go you know rather than drive 12 hours I could only drive 6 nice and I moved to Montreal River and the relationship only lasted another 4 months <laughs> <laughs> so um, what was the calling the calling was to be there to develop there you go you know beautiful wall like Randwick oh my god it's just Steve Charleston's been there he just loves it cool because it's just uh, fabulous solid rock no talus at the bottom at all no loose rock like Batchwana rocks beautiful nothing loose it's almost hard to believe coming from Thunder Bay I know where everything's so loose I think of some of the rocks we knocked off Silver Harbor at the Bluffs I mean it could have been killed at the Bluffs so many times <laughs> and then at uh, Squaw Bay Sleeping Giants some of the boulders we knocked off that didn't hit the belayer go whizzing right by the belayer wow. on a hanging belayer like a block size of a golf ball or a size of a bowling ball you know, get hit by that in your shoulder oh yeah it'd go right through you right I mean like, hats off to you guys <laughs> for being so safe up there because you know it doesn't take much right totally just a golf ball yeah what are, what are your thoughts on on the the new generation of climbers in Thunder Bay and how do you how do you feel about you know where your legacy has gone um I think it's great I, you know hats off to you and Eric and uh Brent, uh, what's his name? Uh, Brent Clark. Brent Clark. All yeah. those guys, yeah. 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 As long as you guys are safe. Totally. But, I mean, why are you doing it? I, you know, I know Eric well enough that he's doing it for development. He's not doing it for ego. Totally. Right? But to go to Pass Lake and see these yahoos, been there a few times walking by the cliff, and people say, you climbed here? Yeah, I climbed here a long time ago. <laughs> like that route, we climbed that, like, 20 years before you were born. <laughs> But it's different. 
because you know it's, it seems to be more ego than uh, just going out and having fun camaraderie right right whereas here people say how hard is that climb what do you mean how hard is it was it have a great no it's fun so how, was it fun for you yeah that's all that matters nice that's a good way to look at it me. so the students don't know what grades are never grade it don't tell them what a grade means right rock or ice and you said that your your new book's not going to have grades in it no grades just fun factors cool but it's my fun based on my fun right so my fun is different than somebody else's fun fair but uh, you know if it's an aesthetic lion they'll just have a star cool like um, Ka or or uh, she offers sanctuary it's a two pitch climb 300 feet high beautiful beautiful nice. line not too hard nice you know, I don't know the grades you know I only know reference the grades when I take somebody that's climbing from Southern Ontario or Thunder Bay and they know the grades how mm-hmm. hard do you think that was 510 oh, it can't be 510 <laughs> everything's 59 everything <laughs> maxes at 56 in my books yeah yeah I mean anyone that's climbed at the bluffs is familiar with that concept yeah <laughs> we didn't know because we had no, no reference point we hadn't cli- we had only climbed at uh a rattlesnake point for like three days. Okay. So we had no reference until we went to Colorado. Right. Right. So we were bringing that back. And totally. I remember Guy LaSalle and I went to Colorado after we had developed the climbs at Orient Bay. And, you know, they were they were good. I mean, climbs at Orient Bay was just as well. And I've never gone, never gone back to Colorado since 83. Hmm. We've gone climbing. You know, we climbed in Camor. And now the climbs in Batchewana. Mm-hmm don't have to go anywhere else to climb match anything in anything in the Rockies anything in New Hampshire anything in Quebec cool that's just so people should put it on their tech list go climb in Batchewana yeah yeah, yeah yeah but if I like you I'll tell you where they're at if there I don't you like you you can go back and climb somewhere else go see Sean buy a guidebook bring him some strong bow ciders no yeah bring <laughs> me some strong bow cider for each strong bow cider you get one root there you go Good deal. So bring me a case and you get a, <laughs> a, a check, checklist. No, everybody's welcome to come. Nice. Get a bunkie, come and stay. I always like to have climbers. Totally. But uh, you leave the ego at the driveway. There you I go. I got a little box there. Egos <laughs> only. And you pick it up on the way out. Yeah, check your ego at the door. Yeah, yeah. Sounds good. But it's got to be fun. It's got to be camaraderie. Totally. Right? I mean, that's what it had, it, had always been like that for us in Thunder Bay. Mm-hmm. Don't remember much, much ego between us. There was none. We're just friends having fun. Totally, yeah. Yeah. Pioneers. Yeah. Uh, controversial question for you. Yeah. So, uh, it's it's sort of like Thunder Bay climbing lore, that because if you're driving down eleven seventeen towards Nipigon, you can see Mount Helen across the water, and there's yeah. some pretty easily identified white streaks. Right. Can you can you tell me about how those white streaks got there? Uh, if I that's at 1984, 85. So we had found Mount Helen, and we wrapped we wrapped down with some loose rock, and we put these redhead bolts in. But there's so much lichen that you couldn't really see the holes because of lichen. So we got this idea: let's take bleach up there. So I remember having four one gallon jugs of bleach in my pack one in each hand and we had the bolts at the top so we just poured bleach down the wall and it would turn the it would kill the lichen and we 
kind of put it right at the top, but when it rained, the, the bleach would mix with water and flow down the wall. And that's what turned the, made those streaks. And then right. we, we'd scrape it. Right. So I still do that in some areas using borax. Hmm. It just kills the lichen. Gotcha. But people kill the lichen when they scrape it. That's true. But it bleaches the rock. Yeah. And makes the rock real white. So we got an area here called uh, Short But Sassy Wall. And there's a few dead trees on the cliff. So we knocked out down, got to come along, pulled the roots out. The rain washed it. And we put uh, bleach on it. And then we have it bolted. And we have little uh, flagging tapes on it for the drone pictures. Mm -hmm. And what's funny is the locals will go by and say, hey, I saw this wall had these little metal tags. <laughs> what is that? Hmm? Well, those are seismic receptors. <laughs> those are little antennae that, that transmit a signal to the satellites. Really? <laughs> How can a Mac Orange Oak? Because everyone has, everyone has a code name, and, and uh, we're always checking that they're okay. Really? Yep, so we have a seismic event, and it transmits a signal to the satellite. Oh, we thought that was for rock climbing. Ah, rock climbing. Who would put bolts in? Who would put <laughs> things in for rock climbing? That's all scientific... Uh, experiments on the rock that's, that's how you keep things under wraps that's how I keep it under wraps <laughs> I seem to remember you once telling me a story about like a, a lightning rod or something like that pouring salt am I yeah, is, is that no, a true no. story yeah that's true so we uh, one of the cliffs we put a, a aluminum bar up in the cliff with salt at the bottom so if there was a uh, lightning strike it would strike the cliff and course there's lots of energy in the ground so it forms a shock wave which cracks the actually cracks the rock hmm. and forms the the cracks to climb and did it work uh worked but it wasn't really formed new cracks it just opened up some older cracks okay cracks that were like seams became cracks that were like finger interesting yep and it knocked a lot of the loose rocks off huh. so haven't been back there haven't been back there this year to see what's happened so that's why you have cracks in, in the rocks like Yosemite mm -hmm. or Squamish. You have big cracks on the wall because it's all exfoliating and it's a seismic event. So the rock, the cliff is actually cracking. Right. And that's what forms the cracks to climb. Gotcha. Well, is there anything else that uh, we haven't no. talked about you think we should cover? No, just keep, keep doing what you guys are doing up there in Thunder Bay. I'll come up there maybe for my 70th birthday and go... Yeah, sounds good. Go rock climbing. I don't see myself retiring. See if you can repeat some of your old roots. Oh, I don't, don't think I can. Okay. <laughs> maybe on top rope. Or maybe uh, I'll have Eric or you lead and I'll, I'll second. I'll try to second. Yeah, sounds but, good. But you have to lead it on my old gear. Okay, yeah. Old Tetons. Tetons. Nuts and, nuts and, and, uh, and solid hexes. stem friends. Yeah. And then we'll go, let's go ice climbing. I'll bring you some old, old ice screws, Chenard ice screws. That sounds absolutely terrifying. It is what it is, but congratulations to you guys because in the beginning, I always had a dream that would, 30 years, like in 79 when we started, I always had a dream that, what am I doing this? What am I doing this for? Is it just going to be us climbing and it'll be the end? But then it started to grow and grow. And when Eric released his guidebook in, would that be 2016? Something like that, yeah. God, I had tears in my eyes listening to him talk. He invited me up to say a few words. I gave the guy a big hug. Thanks a lot, man. You kept my dream going. That's what you guys are doing. Will that happen here? I don't know. There's not enough climbers yet. 
Maybe one day. Gotta Maybe keep training day. them. Yeah, keep yeah, training yeah, the young yeah, ones. Yeah. It just takes time, but I mean, Thunder Bay, I mean, imagine we started in 79, it didn't really take off till 86, seven years later. Hmm. Right? But the climbs are real accessible, like the bluffs. Mm-hmm. Here it's a little bit more, and they're multi pitch. There's no really place. The only place you get top rope is short but sassy wall and river bend rock. So here it's different because you have to be a lead climber. Right. Right. Well, it's a bit of like a higher bar to entry. Yeah. Yeah. So it's not really maybe three or four lead climbers in uh, Sault Ste. Marie. Gotcha. The few women, though, I'm going to get start lead climbing. Nice. Which is cool because that inspires more women. Totally. Yeah. So, guys, just be safe up there. Awesome. Always watch the, the website, see what's going on. Cool. Well, thanks so much, Sean. Thanks for sitting down. Welcome. Thanks for coming down. All right. Take care.